This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. Yo. There's certain things that I can talk to you about that I can't really with my dad. I don't think we should talk about this. Hello, this is uh, Lynn of Lynn and Jen, and today we're talking about really a, a subject that's changing dramatically. Day by day, month by month, it's in the political forefront uh, with the uh, subject of transgender individuals using uh, bathrooms, and particularly children, adolescents, our area. And we're going to begin by talking about some very basic definitions of gender and then transgender-related terms. And we're going to then discuss some of our cases and then follow up with some commentary on the political situation and our recommendations about this. So it's a a brave subject, isn't it, Jen, for the two of us, because we know this is a a very political topic. It's very political, and in being political, it's very emotionally laden for a lot of people. Yes. And not the least, uh, maybe the most, for the the clients that we've dealt with in this area. Uh, Many of them have been very brave. The children and teens we work with, they've had to struggle really in the forefront of what's called the gender revolution. Uh, I think what stimulated me to have this podcast on this subject is that just last month, the National Geographic had a special edition, a yearly edition dedicated to gender, and they entitled it The Gender Revolution. And I've subscribed to National Geographic since I've been a child, so to see them really embrace this important area was very powerful for me. It was very powerful. I think it still is very powerful. And what's been really cool for me is because I've been working with a couple trans kids just over the course of, you know, having worked as a professional. And to be able to have a a booklet or a magazine like this to share with them, you know, I was flipping through, I have some younger kids, so maybe they're not reading all the articles in depth, but if you flip through one of the really powerful, what is it called, Um, (laughs) spreads, I guess, is this photographic look at the items that kids own. And you see the pink versus the blue and how early it starts, that division, and being able to talk to the kids about that, whether, you know, they are trying to figure out whether they are transgender or whether they're just interested in this idea. Yeah, and many kids today are very interested in this subject. Uh, my own work with teens, even 20 years ago, kids were beginning to think that they don't fit in the traditional spectrum of boy versus girl. There's somewhere in between, and that's really expanded in the last 20 years. So for parents and everyone else out there to be alert to that. I think to be alert and and also to share kind of our own struggles is in getting ready for this podcast. We're trying to come up with a good definition of gender and realizing that because it's such a shifting landscape, it, it's kind of hard. Yes, and uh, we looked at several definitions. Uh, uh, the National Geographic certainly has one. And then uh, one of the resources we're using for this podcast is the Teaching Transgender Toolkit, which was developed at uh, 
in uh, Ithaca, New York by Planned Parenthood, and it's really an excellent uh, set of terms. It was used by National Geographic, too. So we'll start, I think, with some basic definitions, and I'll, I'll take a stab at the gender, gender itself, and really define gender you know, and this is a broad and shifting definition as gender is a spectrum of sex-related traits that contribute to an identity for an individual and uh, a sense of self. And it includes both the roles uh, that are part of that, and uh, it includes both social, social constructs, what society says about gender, and biological attributes, which really come from your basic sex. So it's different than male, female, it's different. It's not just male, female, and transgender, which is what it used to be. It's become male, female, and others. <laughs> Let's leave that broad category. And we're going to go through a number of these definitions. So uh, I'd be curious about your comments about the gender definition. We've given a huge gender definition at this point. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's hard to pin down because there are so many components to it. And I think people want to put it in this neat box, but... I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to let people define it as it works for them and hear about how it works for them. And it's more important how somebody personally defines it than it is to have just an overarching. I think we need overarching uh, definitions for doing research and making sure there's consistency. But I think when you're working with an individual, it's really important to explore, like, what does this mean to you and how do you define yourself? And this brings us back to some of the kids and teens we work with, and it's their definitions of gender, how they see their own gender that I think is most important. So for our listeners, I think that's something to pay attention to, that this has been a tightly controlled social construct gender is only this way or that way. And it is not the way it is for most people, really. And I think even the idea that it's a spectrum is fairly new. Yes. I think there's a very important idea to add into that. Um, I'm going to push us forward with a few more definitions here. One of the basic terms, if you're in this area, that you begin to see is a newer word called cisgender. And cisgender is really uh, an adjective that's used to describe a person whose gender identity matches with their biological sex that they were assigned at birth. So cisgender is uh, it's a term in contrast to transgender, and it means on the side of a birth identity. So uh, if a child, uh, let's say at 12, says, I'm a girl, I really feel like I'm a girl, and they were assigned a girl, then assigned it's consistent, and they were assigned female, it's consistent with their cisgender, basically. Then uh, in terms of uh, trans, trans refers to or means technically on the other side. Across. So yeah. it's across. And I think that's important to think of it in that way, that transgendered individuals really see themselves in a more comprehensive way. You know, they're really working to define their gender. It can be a combination, really, of different genders. So it's very important, I think, to see it as an opening up of, you know, some biological attributes and traits involved. It can change over a lifetime, transgender. And it's an area that I think many teens are really looking at now and vocalizing and talking about differently. But also younger kids. Because one of the things I saw in National Geographic that was most moving was the article about nine-year-olds and how they saw their traits. Oh, I found that so powerful. 
So with those basic definitions, let's go a little bit further. And some of the terms you might hear today are agender. And that means a person who does not define as having a gender identity that's either male or female. And sometimes they don't feel that they have any gender identity. And you begin to see that, you know, more and more kids will say, well, I'm agender. I'm not going to go one way or the other or any of the mixed ways. You know, that's who I am. So I think it's important if you, you are a parent, you hear that term to know what it means. I think this is actually one of the terms that I see people struggle with the most because we are so black and white in our society. You know, are you male? Are you female? Are you a boy? Are you a girl? And for somebody who says that I'm neither, it leaves a lot of people with, then I don't know how to categorize you. And I think that's an important point to bring up. And the boy, girl, man, woman is one of the, maybe the first box that you feel out on many things. So you're right about that. People want to put other people in categories. You know, maybe they think they understand better. There's a whole range of things. But with gender, if you put people in boxes, you understand less. We both learned that from the yeah, work in this area. Exactly. Bi-gender is another important definition, and that's a person who experiences their gender identity as two genders at the same time or whose gender identity may vary between the two genders. And remember, we've talked about this being shifting. So uh, your your child, your teen, you may feel that you're bi-gender, and that's the best definition that we've really got at this point in time for that. I think another thing to bring up is to bring up the idea of gender non-conforming. Um, because what I see a lot of times is, you know, even with the acronym, it's LGBT, but what I'm seeing is there's more of a shift. So looking at LGB, which is more sexual orientation, and then the T and NG, which is um, non, or NC, <laughs> sorry. Uh, so TNC, which is mm -hmm. trans and non-conforming as being more of a gender related kind of area. Yeah. And these are easy, easy to confuse some of these terms. And it's important for our listeners to realize, I think, that this is something that's shifting. Gender fluid is another term that's frequently used, and that's a, a person whose gender identity shifts between masculine and feminine or falls somewhere on the spectrum. And that's not that different with uh, one of the other terms we talked about, bi-gender. But uh, there's thought to be, you know, it's, it's a more, I would say, modern term to use fluid, gender fluid and to really see oneself as, as part of a spectrum. Well, exactly. I think the idea of gender fluid is this idea that it is a spectrum. And I think that's something that people are grasping and grabbing onto and saying that feels more, more like what I'm experiencing. And so I think it, all of these sort of relate to each other in different ways. But certainly like somebody who is gender fluid also tends to be more gender non-conforming because the conformity is the fitting into boxes kind of idea of the cultural norms that are expected for the genders. Exactly. And here you see the interaction of the, the biological factors with the cultural factors and how they, and many, many cultural factors, the politics, everything else, and how they play off of each other with this. Another term I think to be aware of is gender queer. And people hear that, so to know what it is, it's a person whose gender identity is neither male nor female. 
is between or beyond genders or is some combination of genders. And again, you hear the words gender fluid, gender queer, and uh, uh, by gender. These are words that teens are using today and really changing and transitioning with. So there's a number of these words and a lot of parents will say, I don't know what that means, let alone what the term is. But I think we're trying to give you a sense of some of these words. Um, I think lastly, to talk about the idea of gender uh, dysphoria. Yeah. And gender dysphoria is a diagnosis, a psychiatric diagnosis. And in the American Psychiatric uh, Manual, the DSM, gender dysphoria uh, is a disorder. It's controversial in transgendered communities because it implies that being transgender is a mental illness rather than a valid identity. And this brings me back, Jennifer, to the time of sexual orientation. You know, decades ago when the DSM-2 and the DSM-3, really the three made the transition three, yeah. to really seeing sexual orientation differently. And uh, this is something uh, about our group of professionals. They sometimes characterize things as pathology and sickness that are really part of life and are not really understood that well. And I think that's a big part of what you and I believe is that trans is really just a part of the spectrum and that it, it, it doesn't need to be singled out in this way as this um, sort of deviant behavior, that really it's just one of the identities that people have. And uh, I think it, uh, it can raise thoughts for all of us that if gender is a spectrum, then for all of us, our behaviors fall somewhere on that spectrum and that we're not really in a neat little box. And those feelings are uncomfortable for people. I think they, there's some security to being in a box, to knowing who you are, and to think that you have to discover who you are is more complicated. I think it's overwhelming. Yeah, it really is for a lot of people. Maybe at this point we could um, move on. I would encourage those who want more information to either consult with the uh, Transgender Toolkit, which is available online, or to use the National Geographic issue, which is really invaluable because of the pictures. Pictures really speak loudly in this area, and that page that you were talking about with all the kids who are talking about themselves is so important, I think, really. Uh, so maybe to move on and talk a little bit about the individuals we work with, we're deeply indebted to them uh, for being able to use some of their stories here, and we hope that it can be helpful to others who are listening. So maybe you could start with one of the kids you're working with today on this issue. Well, yeah, so I'm actually working with a kid right now who is about eight years old, and it's been really fascinating because I find in this area even though you know I have expertise in what I do, I really see the child also as a sort of expert because they know what's going on for them and helping them to articulate what's going on and helping them through the process has been such an honor. What's been really powerful here is that I'm preparing with this child to help them socially transition or we've already started. And I've seen the effect that having a really supportive family, having a really supportive school environment makes you know it wasn't like this child was super unhappy before um, which is kind of a contrast to other clients that I've worked with that are depressed or suicidal but I've seen already in the short time I'd say it's been maybe like a month in which they came out to their family and have started using a different name and a different pronouns 
And um, even in public, sometimes, you know, they went on a shopping spree to change their clothes. And one of the salespeople was just really receptive and friendly. And I see that that has made the transition so much easier in contrast to some of the other clients I've worked with who sometimes don't feel they can come out at all. Yeah. We're going to talk a little bit later about one of my cases where it was really in adolescence, late adolescence, and all the struggles that happened then. What's been the struggle for the parents, if any, around this? Um, I, I think that would be very valuable for our listeners to hear about. I think the parents are trying to balance between their concerns about potential risks for their child. You know, is my child going to get bullied? Is my child going to be targeted? Are they going to be a victim of violence? And wanting to support their child in their identity. Um, I think also what came up was parents wondering, okay, my child has been gender non-conforming for a while. So is this a phase or is this something that, you know, they really do identify as transgender and in this case being um, male to female? Mm-hmm. You'd mentioned this is really a little boy to girl that we're dealing with. Yeah, that that's a a transition that's really in progress. Yeah, but Um, I think just the question of you know is this a gender non-conforming thing, which the parents are totally fine with, but being able to parcel out, okay, you know, well, this has been going on for a while. What what happened with this child is that in up until kindergarten they wore dresses. And in going to kindergarten, one of the parents was concerned about their child being bullied or teased. And so they basically told their child that they couldn't wear dresses anymore. And I mean, obviously, just wearing a dress doesn't change your gender. But you know, that was one of the ways that they were expressing Mm -hmm. themselves. And they felt that their identity would not be well received. So they tried Mm -hmm. to kind of bury it and, and express themselves in this way, growing their hair out long, you know, little things like that. But as I started working with this child, what came out was, oh, I've been feeling this way for a long time. I just thought I couldn't do anything about it, you know, but there's sort of this urgency of, you know, it doesn't feel right. Like I want to be fully something else Mm -hmm. is often how it Mm -hmm. starts. And so the parents being willing and able to listen and hear Um, What their child was saying, I think, was really powerful. Many of the children that I've worked with, they feel that they've always been this gender. You know, whether, let's say, it's a boy who feels they're a girl or a girl who feels they're a boy. Yeah. You know, that is the feeling that from the time before school, you know, since they can remember, they believe that they are this gender. Right. And we'll talk a little bit later about one of the studies about kids like this. But I think personally working with them, you feel that when you're with them, that they are the gender that they are describing themselves to be. And, you yeah. know, and it's really, uh, it's interesting, that type of work, because uh, it, it challenges us, I think, as therapists to well, really look at this area. I think what was also really fascinating that I don't think the parents or I understood at the time was how long um, my client felt they had been waiting. And so, you know, when the parents brought it up, like, this might be an issue, you know, like, I want you to talk about it with my child, which I thought was fantastic. I was talking about it as kind of like, okay, later on down the line, like, these are some things that you might want to consider. These are things you might want to think about, you know, the pronouns and a name. 
and we talked about how you know part of coming out like you need to decide whether or not you want to keep your name or not and pretty much like right after the session uh, the child went home and like went through a name book and was like I'm gonna choose a name for myself so I didn't realize kind of how urgent and how pressing it was for my client and you bring up some fairly concrete ideas that right. can help with this situation. I've had uh, individuals I've worked with who've always had another name for themselves and mm-hmm. they've, they've, it's a secret name and they've really hidden that and, yeah. and kept it private. But being allowed to talk about it and with a person who understands that idea is really, really very important. You mentioned the school was positive here and in our era of bathroom confusion, what did the school do with all of this? Well, I mean, so we're in the middle of a social transition. So it's not like the school itself has done so much for this child yet, but the child definitely feels that it would be okay to come out. Um, They definitely feel that their principal, they actually want their principal to be the one to announce to the class um, about their transition. And um, I think that's pretty common. I would say, so one of the things the parents came up with is that in being able to help kids have a framework, they're having somebody who does presentations about gender come in to talk to the class about it. And the school has been very open and receptive to that. Um, The child believes that they will be able to use a gender neutral bathroom. Um, And so they have that option at the school. I think those are a couple things that I can think of just off the top of my head. What you're describing with the principal coming in to talk with the class, it really sets some authority in motion. You know, really addresses some of the potential bullying that could take place. It really opens up this idea for the other children. Um, So it's a very good way to really address this type of, of behavioral change that's going on. And I just want to point out that that was the child's idea, you know, so, you know, my question was like, okay, so you want this to happen. How do you imagine it happening? And, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to acknowledge that parents, because parents are still responsible for the child, do have the ultimate say. At the same time, it's important to listen to the child and hear their ideas because you're really trying to support them. One of the things I think that supports this for people to be aware of, there is an article this month in the American Academy of uh, Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, their journal. And there's actually a couple articles in there too this month. And they address uh, really social transition in transgendered youth and children. And they are really looking at groups of children. They have a study of children, roughly nine to 14, that they've been following who've been undergone transition and they've really shown or beginning to show or building a base as we talk about it of research to really support the idea that if children are vocalizing very strongly and repeatedly and consistently over time, that they feel themselves to be really a different gender than a social transition such as you're describing is really very useful at earlier ages. And this flies in the face of much earlier work in this area. Uh, It was thought that if children did transition early, they would have more depression, more anxiety, more symptoms. And now there's an awareness that maybe this type of transition not only doesn't cause more 
uh, psychological symptoms, but might relieve them. So I think this is something that uh, is a struggle for parents. When do we do this? Is it, uh, a, you know, a I won't say permanence, the wrong word to use in this in this discussion, but would it benefit my child to do this type of transition now, or is it going to hurt them, really? Right. And this is where a therapist, as sensitive as you are, and a school, as understanding, is very helpful. Well, I think what's been really powerful in working with this client, as I said, you know, we're still in the beginning parts of the transition, but what I've seen is... is already there's such a change you know the, the child is wearing bright colors and they love bright colors and they never wore bright colors before because those were boy colors and not only were they not boy colors but they didn't like a lot of boys t-shirts have you know action figures or superheroes and they weren't into that so they felt they didn't have clothes that spoke to them and so they just like hated shopping but now they love shopping because it's an expression of who they actually are. Yeah. No, I think it can change very basic behaviors and experiences with parents. And I think just how fast. I mean, I would say <laughs> within like a week, there was this magic transition. And as mm -hmm. I said before, the child was not super unhappy before. So it wasn't like this glaring, wow, they're really depressed and now they're, you know, over the moon. But you like the child is so much happier and we actually did go through this national geographic magazine and one of the quotes that stuck out the best thing about being a girl is now i don't have to pretend to be a boy and my client was like oh that's me mm -hmm. that that for all that time that is really how he had felt as a child and i think maybe to just say we're not pressing uh, everyone out there to, you know, every child who says, I am not what I, you think right, I am, that we're right. going to move you along on this other direction. This is a careful process. Oh, yeah. You are a therapist. You're involved with this. You're looking at the history over time, oh, how yeah. this child felt when they were very young. All of this is part of the process. And uh, the study I was talking about earlier was done uh, by Lily Durwood and a group of other investigators. It's also valuable to look at that and, and really look at it. It's a group of, of children in the Transgender Youth Project. It's a national right. project to really look at how children transition. And it's important, I think, for everyone to be aware of what a thoughtful process this is for the kid. For you, the therapist, for the parents, for the school, there's a lot so that goes, goes into, into this. Yeah, exactly, so Jennifer. Um, I also want to highlight there, too, is, is this idea of, you know, when you're working with children, you ask these different questions. And they often know a lot more than people give, than parents, but also just adults tend to give children credit for. So really opening up these conversations and talking about them, you get a lot and they understand a lot. Yeah, I've always said that. They're the experts on themselves. That's what you were talking about. They're sexperts and right. they're experts in other areas. But also this idea that, you know, with with the trans children that I've worked with, they really see it very differently in a sense that they're coming into themselves. You know, and I think before the idea was this was kind of a deviant thing, so it would they would be more depressed, they would be more anxious as young children because it's, it was like such a scary thing. And what you what this article, I think, points out is that because they feel they're coming back into them, their self-confidence, their sense of self, it actually improves greatly Yeah, because they can be themselves. Right. No. I was going to briefly talk about the case of a teenager, yeah. an 18-year-old individual that I work with who had transitioned to uh, being a woman in terms of clothing and name and 
personal presentation really to the world. Um, one of the struggles with the later transition for uh, Marty was that she really had um, issues with her uh, great height, her low voice, her Adam's apple, her physical presentation. And uh, she has uh, lived as a woman now for considerable, for 10 years. But it's been a struggle for her. She is an individual who knew at birth or shortly thereafterwards when she was a young child that she was a girl. And uh, really uh, not having early transition available led to a great deal of unhappiness. She also experienced suicidal uh, feelings, being bullied uh, during high school and uh, really being treated very badly. And the bullying occurred. Uh, it was largely uh, boys uh, bullying her uh, because they wanted her to man up and be the man that uh, uh, she wasn't, really. And it led to a lot of struggles and fighting and, and fear, really, about men and uh, violence at this point in her life. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think, you know, we're raising this question of social transitioning happening in childhood and adolescence. And uh, if it doesn't occur during that period, it can be quite a struggle. On the other hand, I've worked with a lot of teenagers who are experimenting with gender roles. And uh, in that process, they characterize themselves one way and another. And it isn't necessarily something that they felt at birth. It's part of a process of exploration. So I think, again, that's important for parents and others to be aware of, that there is a group that's experimenting. Therapy is very helpful for people who are questioning this. And there are organizations available to uh, teens. We've talked about Lyric and others that are available to teens who are questioning uh, sex and gender. And it's really important that teens be hooked up with them. Yeah, I think along those lines, too, is to bring up one of the things that I've seen. Um, I can't remember the exact research right now or like who conducted it, but they looked at um, trans and they looked at also people, just that teen kind of experimental time frame and, and in asking their questions what they find is a lot of people who identify as trans later on in life they go through a period where they start first with questioning their sexuality and so they they wonder you know am I gay or lesbian or bisexual and I think part of it is because a lot of these conversations don't happen till much later so they don't have an idea even maybe that trans exists as an identity. But I think that's important to point out is that there are a lot of people who go through that phase and that I think in talking to people and being able to explore those questions, you can really start parceling out, okay, is this a sexual orientation thing? Is this a gender thing? And as we talked about in, in the very beginning of this podcast, that can be a challenge. And teens, like others, the rest of us, really sometimes confuse sexual orientation yeah. and uh, gender. Uh, you know, and sexual orientation is just the person sexually your attraction is oriented to. It can be male, female, other, trans, you know, it can be a lot of different things, but it is different from the gender itself. But, you know, the kids confuse it. They know they don't feel like everybody's supposed to feel. And this gets to how strict the gender uh, roles are in our country. Gender is very strictly controlled in the U.S. And that's one of the things that makes us a restrictive sexual culture is our tight control of gender. 
And it's not so much that way in Europe and other parts of the world. And to be aware of that, I think, for uh, individuals really important. And I think that's a great point, too, because that's an area that people feel a bit more comfortable talking about. You know, so if you start young with your child talking about gender roles, I think we've talked about before, you know, being in the toy store and, and overhearing parents, you know, talking about boy toys and girl toys and maybe that there aren't boy toys and girl toys and really you can play with whatever toys you want to, but also being able to talk about the colors, talking about a lot of these things that are present at a young age, then already these ideas are kind of in place and they're understood a little bit more from a young age. We'd also like to move into the political arena here a little bit and talk about the whole area of uh, uh, children and uh, adolescents using uh, bathrooms at school, the question of whether or not bathrooms for transgendered need to be developed or are we going to have you know more open sharing. And uh, one of the young men uh, who's been involved in the struggle is a boy called Gavin Grimm. And I hope you will not mind that we uh, uh, really characterize him as, as quite a hero, really, in this area. And that uh, he has been able to stand up. As he said, he believes people need to use the bathroom they need to use. But it's more than that. He really acts as a role model for other children and, and teens in the world really watching him. Um, so currently, there is a real struggle. Obama had uh, moved in the direction of really opening up. Uh, the bathroom issue and saying that uh, children should be able to use the bathrooms that they feel comfortable with. And we're now back with uh, the Trump administration to really with questions about that. Um, so I think it's a, a really important area to use the information we've just talked about uh, to uh, uh, explore. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's important because sex and politics are so often entwined together. Mm. And I think to really understand what is going on with the arguments, with the different sides, the different opinions, I think it's important to explore because I think I mentioned to you, but I, I think a big part of as psychologically minded people, we can see kind of how people are manipulating information and how different things are being thrown out there to try and sway public opinion. And for me, a big part is, you know, when I hear about this being about bathrooms and a big, big thing is the focus on privacy and protecting women and children. It's just so frustrating and infuriating because, you know, it's, it's really not an issue. And I think with our backgrounds, we can really speak to why that is. Well, this brings up the, the topic of sexual abuse in bathrooms with children. And uh, I have worked with, uh, as you know, Jennifer, and you've given me the lead here, yeah. with probably almost 100 pedophiles, as, as well as thousands of uh, children and adolescents who have been sexually abused. And I think to, for uh, parents and for the world to be really be aware of that I have never worked with uh, transgendered children uh, or a child who says that they're transgendered really engaging in this type of sexual abuse of other children. So I, I think that's the point, is the concern about this. Now, parents, I think, do need to be concerned about bathroom behavior because there is the risk, and it's a small risk, but there is the risk that a group of children or a more developed child will take advantage of another child in the bathroom. But it's not necessarily, as I've said, it's not going to be a transgendered child. And I think that's important to be aware of. 
And when you see adult pedophiles, um, they are in general a staff in facilities who have not been vetted really properly. Uh, they're often very inexperienced. They haven't really worked with a lot of children, and they're often very immature. Their own issues of development really are not what you might expect. They, too, may have been touched as a child in the bathroom, and then they react, reenact this. Yeah. yeah. And the reenactments, the uh, traumatic reenactments, really cause a, a huge problem. Um, so I think to be aware of this, and this is more than enough said, I think, about the area of pedophilia, but it brings up the fact that allowing open bathrooms for transgendered uh, children and adolescents is not going to cause this other area to really grow. And this needs to be stated, I think, pretty clearly. I think exactly as you stated it. <laughs> and with our background, we can really say very assuredly that this has not happened. And that it's not a concern in the way that it's being presented. And I think what what's being presented is really people are preying upon the fear of, you know, protect our children, protect women. And really that that's that's not what it's about. And I think to to explain a little bit about kind of working with trans children and adults is a lot of them are very cautious and very careful and all they want to do is use the bathroom and not have it be a big deal. And a lot of times, you know, I have, in working with trans children, they talk about, well, I don't want to use the other bathroom yet because I don't look, I don't look the right way. I don't want to make other people uncomfortable. So they are thinking about other people and they are thinking about fitting in. And I think that's a big thing to talk about too. They, uh, the children, adolescents and adults I work with have thought more about gender issues than almost anyone else that I've worked with. And I think that's very important to keep in mind. They're, they are empathetic about others. They worry about others and other reactions. Right. So they're, they're thoughtful about it. And I think back to all of us who are trying to work with this group, I think we need to think some about their needs and, and really what the true risks are. Exactly. And this is not a risk that this will occur. And uh, it is used by fear mongers to really build the risk here and to mischaracterize a group as abusive. Right. And uh, this is what happened, I think, uh, with gay individuals 30, oh, yeah. 40 years ago. Same you know, they were portrayed. Exactly. That, uh, you know, well, now you're in that group. We're going to characterize that group as a very sexually abusive group and everybody should protect their children from them. But I think it's a very different story. And looking at the National Geographic, you'll see it's the children who are speaking out and the children who are really talking about this issue. And so the, that brings up two different points for me. So the, the first is that the, the statistics reflect that somebody who identifies as transgender or just gender nonconforming is more likely to be a victim of violence than they are to instigate it. So I Absolutely. think that's very, very important to highlight. And then I just forgot the second one. <laughs> what you well, you, you mentioned, and this I've been involved in a number of cases evaluating uh, the victims of, of violence, transgendered youth, and they're attacked in bathrooms. Right. And that's the concern. Assaulted. Exactly. And that gets us back or brings us back to the principle talking and educating schools about this type of situation. So preparing for this, in a way a school has to transition, you know, to be ready for all of this, but it's possible and it makes a, a freer and more open environment. 
well, it's an issue of safety. Exactly. And it protects, it pro- that protects the children. That reminds me of what I was going to say. So I was going to say, what I see a lot of the time actually is the, the children don't struggle with this. I mean, they struggle a little bit. Like, are you a boy? Are you a girl? I don't understand. But, you know, in asking that question, if, if somebody who appears to be, you know, like a girly boy, let's say, says, I'm a girl, kids are like, hmm, okay. It's really a lot of the parents that I see struggling with accepting this other um, identity, I guess. And they are the ones that I see that are more likely to try to push things in a certain direction. They've also not had the experience of having the child educate them. Right. You know, they have a different children and they've had different experiences. And I think when you have a child who really is exploring this area of gender, it's a really big education. I admire the parents who are really dealing with it and addressing it. It's important to hear that. We've spent a, a fair amount of time on this podcast today, and w- I think we'll come back to it. But uh, it's been very valuable for me, Jen, to really have this conversation with you. Yeah, I'm always glad to talk about, you know, these aren't always the easiest topics <laughs> we talk about, but I think it's so important in being able to share with people some of these clients' stories. Come on, let's talk about sex.